Chapter 26 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Friend. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 26 The Moods of Molly. Early the following morning, Margaret Haley called upon Molly Gretna. Molly's personality did not attract Margaret. The two had nothing in common, but Margaret was well aware of the nature of the tie which had bound Rita Irvin to this empty and decadent representative of the English aristocracy. Molly Gretna was entitled to append the words, the Honorable, to her name, but not only did she refrain from doing so, but she even preferred to be known as Gretna, the style of one of the family estates. This pseudonym she had adopted shortly after her divorce, when she had attempted to take up a stage career. But although the experience had proved disastrous, she had retained the nom de guerre, and during the past four years had several times appeared at war charity garden parties as a classical dancer, to the great delight of the guests, and greater disgust of her family. Her maternal uncle, head of her house, said to be the most blasé member of the British peerage and known as the noble tortoise, was generally considered to have pronounced the final verdict upon his golden-haired niece when he declared, she is almost amusing. Molly received her visitor with extravagant expressions of welcome. My dear Miss Haley, she cried, how perfectly sweet of you to come see me. Of course, I can guess what you have called about. Look, I have every paper published this morning in London, every one. Oh, poor darling little Rita, what can have become of her? Tears glistened upon her carefully made-up lashes, and so deep did her grief seem to be that one would never have suspected that she had spent the greater part of the night playing bridge at a mixed club in Dover Street, and from thence had proceeded to a military breakfast dance. "'It is indeed a ghastly tragedy,' said Margaret. "'It seems incredible that she cannot be traced.' "'Absolutely incredible,' declared Molly, opening a large box of cigarettes. "'Will you have one, dear?' "'No, thanks. By the way,' They are not from Buenos Aires, I suppose. Molly, cigarette in hand, stared round-eyed and, Oh, my dear Miss Haley, she cried. What an idea. Such a funny thing to suggest. Margaret smiled coolly. Poor Sir Lucian used to smoke cigarettes of that kind, she explained. I thought perhaps you smoked them too. Molly shook her head and lighted the cigarette. He gave me one once and it made me feel quite sick, she declared. Margaret glanced at the speaker, and knew immediately that Molly had determined to deny all knowledge of the drug coterie, because there is no problem of psychology harder than that offered by a perverted mind. Margaret was misled in ascribing the secrecy to a desire to avoid becoming involved in a scandal. Therefore, do you quite realize, Miss Gretna, she said quietly, that every hour wasted now in tracing Rita may mean, must mean, an hour of agony for her? oh don't please don't cried molly clasping her hands i cannot bear to think of it god knows in whose hands she is then there is poor mr Irvin. he is utterly prostrated one shudders to contemplate his torture as the hours and the days go by and no news comes of rita oh my dear you are making me cry exclaimed molly if only i could do something to help margaret studied her closely and now, for the first time, she detected sincere emotion in Molly's voice, and unforced tears in her eyes. Hope was reborn. Perhaps you can, she continued, speaking gently. You knew all Rita's friends and all solutions. You must have met the woman called Mrs. Sin. Mrs. Sin, 
whispered Molly, staring in a frightened way so that the pupils of her eyes slowly enlarged. What about Mrs. Sin? Well, you see, they seem to think that through Mrs. Sin they will be able to trace Cosma, and wherever Cosma is, one would expect to find poor Rita. Molly lowered her head for a moment, then glanced quickly at the speaker and quickly away again. Please let me explain just what I mean, continued Margaret. It seems to be impossible to find anybody in London who will admit having known Mrs. Sin or Cosma. They are all afraid of being involved in the case, of course. Now, if you can help, don't hesitate for that reason. A special commission has been appointed by Lord Rexborough to deal with the case, and their agent is working quite independently of the police. Anything which you care to tell him will be treated as strictly confidential. But think what it would mean to Rita. Molly clasped her hands about her right knee and rocked to and fro in her chair. No one knows who Cosma is, she said. But a number of people seem to know Mrs. Sin. I am sure you must have met her. If I say that I know her, shall I be called as a witness? Certainly not. I can assure you of that. Molly continued to rock to and fro. But if I were to tell the police, I should have to go to court, I suppose. I suppose so, replied Margaret. I am afraid I am dreadfully ignorant of such matters. It might depend upon whether you spoke to a high official or to a subordinate one, an ordinary policeman, for instance. But the Home Office agent has nothing whatever to do with Scotland Yard. Molly stood up in order to reach an ashtray, and— I really don't think I have anything to say, Miss Haley, she declared. I have certainly met Mrs. Sin, but I know nothing whatever about her, except that I believe she is a Jewess. Margaret sighed, looking up wistfully into Molly's face. Are you quite sure? she pleaded. Oh, Miss Gretna, if you know anything, anything, don't hide it now. It may mean so much. Oh, I quite understand that, cried Molly. My heart simply aches, and aches when I think of poor, sweet little Rita. But really, I don't think I can be of the least bit of use. Their glances met, and Margaret read hostility in the shallow eyes. Molly, who had been wavering, now for some reason had become confirmed in her original determination to remain silent. Margaret stood up. It is no good, then, she said. We must hope that Rita will be traced by the police. Goodbye, Miss Gretna. I am so sorry you cannot help. And so am I, declared Molly. It is perfectly sweet of you to take such an interest, and I feel a positive worm. But what can I do? As Margaret was stepping into her little runabout car, which awaited her at the door, a theory presented itself to account for Molly's sudden hostility. It had developed, apparently, as a result of Margaret's reference to the Home Office inquiry. Of course, Molly would naturally be antagonistic to a commission appointed to suppress the drug traffic. Convinced that this was the correct explanation, Margaret drove away, reflecting bitterly that she had been guilty of a strategical error which it was now too late to rectify. In common with others, Carrie among them, who had come in contact with that perverted intelligence, she misjudged Molly's motives. In the first place, the latter had no wish to avoid publicity, and in the second place, although she sometimes wondered vaguely what she should do when her stock of drugs became exhausted, Molly was prompted by no particular animosity toward the Home Office inquiry. She had merely perceived a suitable opportunity to make the acquaintance of the fierce Red and Chief Inspector, and at the same time to secure notoriety for herself. Ere Margaret's car had progressed a hundred yards from the door, Molly was at the telephone. City 400, please, she said. An interval elapsed. Then, 
Is that the commissioner's office, New Scotland Yard? she asked. A voice replied that it was. Could you put me through to Chief Inspector Carey? What name? inquired the voice. Molly hesitated for three seconds, and then gave her family name. Very well, madam, said the voice respectfully. Please hold on, and I will inquire if the chief inspector is in. Molly's heart was beating rapidly with pleasurable excitement, and she was as confused as a maiden at her first rendezvous. Then, hello, said the voice. Yes, I am sorry, madam, but Chief Inspector Carey is off duty. Oh, dear, sighed Molly. What a pity. Can you tell me where I could find him? I'm afraid not, madam. It is against the rules to give private addresses of members of any department. Oh, very well, she sighed again. Thank you. She replaced the receiver and stood biting her finger thoughtfully. She was making a mental inventory of her many admirers and wondering which of them could help her. Suddenly, she came to a decision on the point, taking up the receiver. Victoria 8440, please, she said. Still biting one finger, she waited until... For an office, announced a voice. Please put me through to Mr. Archie Bowden Shaw, she said. Ere long, that official's secretary was inquiring her name, and a moment later... Is that you, Archie? said Molly. Yes, Molly speaking. No, please listen, Archie. You can get to know everything at the foreign office, and I want you to find out for me the private address of Chief Inspector Carey, who is in charge of the Bond Street murder case. Oh, don't be silly. I've asked Scotland Yard, but they won't tell me. You can find out. It doesn't matter why I want to know. Just ring me and tell me. I must know in half an hour. Yes, I shall be seeing you tonight. Goodbye. Less than a half hour later, the obedient Archie rang up, and Molly, all excitement, wrote the following address in a dainty scented notebook which she carried in her handbag. Chief Inspector Carey, 67 Spencer Road, Brixton. End of chapter 26